It's Christmas Eve, and I've got a message from someone who's struggling with doubt. And so for today's Ask Science Mike Mini, the last one of the holiday season, I thought we might lean in to his questions about the reality and nature of God at Christmas. Hey, Mike. My name is Logan. I'm a youth pastor at a little Southern Baptist church in Texas, and I've been struggling with deconstruction. What I mean is it's happening, whether I like it or not. I'm not sure how my family and my church are going to handle what I'm coming to believe. I don't even know what that is yet, but it isn't going to end where they are. I felt alone, forced to keep these things to myself. I don't want to hurt the people I love. I was contemplating stepping down from my position as youth pastor. How can I expect to lead a group of fragile kids in the way my church would desire if I'm not even sure that God exists on most days? I thought about telling everyone about my struggles, stepping down and not hiding anymore. And then one of the oldest youth and his father died this last weekend in an accident involving a drunk driver who was also killed. If I thought I felt loneliness before, I had no idea. I've been wandering around in the post-apocalyptic parts of my soul, watching hopelessly as the foundations of it all crumble and deconstruct, all trying to figure out what I believe about the afterlife. And I keep hearing people say, at least we know they are in heaven. Do we? I don't know how to talk to the youth who have placed their trust in me. I don't know how to console these kids searching for answers when I'm not certain there are any answers. Maybe this is all just senseless suffering and destruction, the cost of life until the sun swallows us up in billions of years. I don't know what to tell these kids according to what they've been taught. Their friend is dancing in heaven right now in the presence of the Almighty God. And I don't know if I believe that anymore. I'm not even convinced that scripture teaches that we are heaven bound when we die. But I want to believe that there is something pushing us towards the promise renewal of all things. I want to believe that. I have to believe that. I can't leave these kids who are hurting asking the hardest questions. I can't abandon them. I don't want them to feel alone. So what I'm asking is what happens to the brain in the midst of loss and suffering and what can I do to keep my brain healthy through this time and what can I do to help lead the students who have placed so much trust in me in an honest and true-to-self manner without wrecking their souls in the process. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for all you do. Sorry for the heaviness around Christmas. Logan, I identify with a lot of your story and what you're going through. Um, follow my work at all, you know that I spent several years as a youth Sunday school teacher who was also an atheist. So I wouldn't say that I doubted God's existence so much that I was quite certain God didn't exist and that there was no such thing as the afterlife. I did a pretty good job teaching orthodox Christian ideas during that period of my life. You can fake it. But doing so has a cost. A little bit of you dies every day. I don't know how to phrase that scientifically other than it's psychologically fatiguing to not be honest about who you are. 
So you're in this tough period. You're in this transition. And you seem to have some idea of its trajectory because you say that when you land, your beliefs will be different from your family and your loved ones. I'd start by saying, maybe. (laughs) Who knows what we'll believe tomorrow? Who knows where our life experiences will take us? So I'd start by stepping back. And if you're going to deconstruct, go ahead and let go of any idea of where you might end up. And that might be helpful. But the thing is, you can't just hide. And that's what you're doing right now. You're walking a road alone and it's not healthy and it's not helpful. It's not helpful to your church. It's not helpful to your family. And it's not helpful to you. There needs to be someone in your life who you know in flesh and blood who you can be completely honest with about what you're thinking and feeling, how your beliefs are changing, someone you can trust. I didn't have a person like that in my life for two years, and things would have turned out differently if I did. Once I was able to speak honestly about who I was and what I believed, I started to heal and grow as a person, but it had some cost. I'm not at a Southern Baptist church anymore. Even though I loved the church I was at, I loved the people there, I couldn't stay. So there's a level of complexity you face that I didn't. Your income is tied to an institution that believes different things about God than you do. So here's what I'd say. In the short term, talk about what you do believe, what you can affirm. You talk about a hope that God is leading us somewhere or drawing us towards some good. Then talk about those things. If you believe the church does good things, talk about those things. If you believe that these people who tragically lost their lives in an automobile accident led good lives and left a good impact on the world, you can honor their memories. You can Honor who they were without even going into where they are now. Plenty of people in your church will speak about the good of heaven without you having to do so. But what do you do with direct questions? Because guess what? There's students in your group who, because of this accident, are facing the same questions you are, who find these reassurances of heaven to sound like empty promises. And there's a chance at some point one of them is going to ask you something. You've got to figure out somehow if you'll ever be Baptist again. And if you don't think five years from now or a year from now, you're going to be back into some conventional or, 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 or palatable form of Baptist theology, it's time to start planning a trajectory where your paycheck doesn't come from a Baptist church. Now, you use language very similar to what I used to use in my journal when I talked about my obligations to children or kids who'd put their trust in me. And I have great news, Logan, and I mean this very seriously. You are not God. You're not God. Whether God exists or not, you are not God As much as you love the kids in your youth group, as much as they love you, as much value as you contribute to their lives, you are not the only source of good things in their world. So 
if a year from now you're not their youth pastor, that will not wreck anybody's life. But if you publicly deconstruct and you cause a, a stink and a stir in your church in the process of doing so, that actually could cause lasting harm to people. So my advice to you is start with one person who you can be honest with and start working through these ideas with someone else. If you think Christian faith and practice is important, this should probably be a Christian person. They don't have to be the same denomination as you. In fact, it's probably good if they aren't. But someone who can honestly and lovingly represent Christians as you walk through this and as you evaluate claims that uh, undermine your Christian faith. After that, as you start to figure out who you are now, you've got to start telling the people closest to you where you are, your family first, uh, your close friends second, and eventually, yeah, your church staff. And now you may be at a church where you have a pastor who's comfortable with you ministering while you work through doubts. Um, But you also have to understand that you may not be, and the day you talk about your doubts may be the last day you draw an income from that church. This means vocational change for you. I really think it does. Unless, like I say, this is a dark night of the soul of some kind um, where your deconstruction um, will end back in a relatively similar theological place to where you began, which does happen, by the way. It's not like deconstruction and doubt is a death sentence for faith. I know lots of people, many, many people, who existentially doubted their belief in God but returned to their original faith tradition. That does happen statistically, as far as I've seen, about half the time. And uh, the tradition you're in uh, is one of the two traditions that are least likely to see faith defections or changes in faith traditions. Unfortunately, Southern Baptists, if they do defect, are among the least likely to return. So that's kind of the dark side of that statistic. It's tough to feel this way at Christmas. It really is. I get that. This Christmas story is about God coming to earth so that we could know and understand God. That's what the Christmas story is about. That's what the life of Jesus is about. And whether you accept those stories as historical fact or metaphor or ancient literature, (laughs) the fact is right now, a God with a face is what you need, a God that you can know. If faith is where you want to end up, if belief in God is where you want to end up. So what ideas can you accept about God? Can you accept that God is love or that love is important? It might be time to evaluate new ideas about God. I think a book I'd like to recommend to you is What We Talk About When We Talk About God by Rob Bell, where he starts to look at different ideas about God and different uh, forms of doubt and starts to paint a picture of who God could be. And I think Rob's particular take on the divine and what we talk about when we talk about God might be a good place for you to start evaluating considering your Southern Baptist roots and your current state of deconstruction. So check out that, What We Talk About When We Talk About God by Rob Bell. And above all, I just wish you peace. Your job is not to master reality and know everything. 
the belief system we grew up in tends to make us feel like we should have great confidence in all our beliefs. And I think the world is so complex and so mysterious that at some point we realize that it's far beyond our comprehension. When that happens, we stop finding God in propositions and we start finding God in the mystery and the beauty of living life, of sunsets, of ice cream, and falling in love. We start to find God in the most mundane and yet the most marvelous moments of our existence. We open this episode with O Come, O Come, Emmanuel by Sleeping at Last. That's off the liturgist release, O Light. You can find more about that at theliturgist.com slash O Light. And I'd like to leave you with Amina Brown's Advent for Weary Souls as you contemplate what it means to follow Christ at Christmas in 2015. This year has brought us tears and sorrow. Watching our world, like the very ground beneath us, tremble with fear and racism and death and hate. So many questions without answers. So many mothers who have had to bury their children. We cannot unplug from the noise of news. Our world is being torn at its seams by the tug of war, finding it difficult to make or keep peace. The fight for human rights, the fear of disease, the violence of militants' lives are being snuffed and stolen. Typhoons, airstrikes, open fire. This year, nearly 300 girls were kidnapped in Nigeria while getting an education, and most of them have still not returned home. The protests in Venezuela, China, Mexico, Ukraine are the same as the protests happening in New York, Chicago, L.A., Atlanta, Ferguson. Our cities and towns are at an unrest. As we wrestle with the violence of lone gunmen, immigration, race relations, as we watch our neighborhoods turn into war zones, we don't hear the wounds. We just take sides and divide to find our us so we can accuse them. We have stopped listening. We find ourselves with angry fists in what is supposed to be the season of giving. There have been breaches in our confidence and trust. We have lost our ability to mourn with those who mourn, to see injustice with disgust, and our Facebook statuses turn into the worst kind of soapbox and pulpit. Hashtag bring back our girls, Ebola, ice bucket challenge. Hashtag I can't breathe, why I stayed, Renisha McBride, occupy Hong Kong. Hashtag black lives matter, Gaza under attack, yes, all women. Hashtag break the internet, take down that post, MH370. Hashtag pray for South Korea, H17, hands up, don't shoot, until our souls need a ceasefire. Sometimes it's hard to light the candle and drape the tinsel when Christmas seems to not unwrap gifts but wounds, reminding us of the people we've lost, of the things that have been stolen, of despair, of grieving the kind of sadness a Christmas carol can't seem to shake. And what do we do with this baby? This savior, whose arrival had no celebrity, no red carpet, no paparazzi, just Mary and Joseph and manger animals and stars to lead wise men. What does this Jesus have to do with our brokenness and wounds? What does he have to say when the plot lines of our life don't wrap up cleanly like a Christmas tune? This Jesus is not just a baby. 
He is the radical revolutionary who came to do the saving, who spoke uncomfortable truth to the narrow-minded religious, who turned over tables for justice, who used his voice to speak for children, orphans, widows, who became freedom for the oppressed. Yes, he wanted us to know peace so badly that he sacrificed himself so we could realize we are not us versus them. We are us with him, us who want to walk and love and serve like him, fight against injustice and poverty with him. Let's listen to those who are hurting, mourn with those who are weeping. Let's do what we hear the angels singing for love, for peace, for goodwill, for all humanity this Advent. May Jesus teach a weary world and our weary souls to fight for justice and someday live in peace. <laughs>